All right, Justin, sing me the perfect song for Candyman. And there is, now, I'm not saying the song I have in my head is the only winning song, but I'm letting you guys know right now, there is a 15-point bonus if you guess the song I'm thinking of. Hmm. Also, the perfect song. There's a number two song. I'll give five bonus points to if you get that one. Hmm. Let me think about this. Oh my gosh! What what is that song from Willy Wonka? Oh, the whole the Candy Man can because he sprinkles it with love. Yeah, that that's what I'm thinking of. The Candy Man can. Man, what are the lyrics though? Oh, the Candy Man. Like, can. who can make a sunrise? Sprinkle it with dew. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Who can make the? Yeah, who can make the sunrise? Sprinkle it with dew, cover it with chocolate, and a miracle or two. The Candyman can. There you go. I'll go with that one. All right. Well, not necessarily an ideal song for the Candyman we're talking about because it's all happy and not murderous. (laughs) You get one point for that, Justin. Because it does fit. It has the guy's name in it. It has the guy's name in it. Like, I can't deny a point for that. So you do get a point for that. Uh, Heather, what about you? Oh, boy. Um, Honestly, the first song that I thought of was the Christina Aguilera Candyman song. The (laughs) And I can't even remember the words to it, but I just remember it's, um, you know, something like, Lips like sugar cane. Dun, 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 to those who wait. Candyman, Candyman. I don't even remember the words, but that's the first song that I thought of. (laughs) Once again, you get in on it. You get the same technicality as Justin. You'll get a point. Okay, but clearly not the ones you were thinking of. (laughs) Now, I'll I'll give you guys one shot. I just thought of a third song that I will give three bonus points to. You get one more shot to name one of the three songs. You cannot get points unless you think of one of the three songs I am thinking of. So if you go outside of that, I'm not going to give more points. But there is a three, a five, and a 15-point bonus right now on this. All right, Justin, for round two. Oh, boy. For just bonus points, can you name one of the three songs I'm thinking? You don't even have to sing at this point. If you can just name one of the three songs I'm thinking of, I'll give you points. Man, I'm trying to think of what could what could you be thinking? Man, I have no clue what your demented mind has come up with. All right, all right. You don't lose any points on this one, so it's you're fine. Yeah, might have to relent. I might have to relent. All right, that's that's fair. That's fair. You don't lose anything on this one. You've gotten your points for the episode. This is just strictly bonus. You can only get positive on this. Heather, can you think of one of the three songs? No. I mean, if the first song I thought of was that Christina Aguilera one, like, my mind is is, is not fully there on other options. <laughs> so, no, I do not know. Okay, so the three-point bonus song was Say My Name by Destiny's Child. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, that is a good one. They did that good remix on the trailer, I remember. Yeah. But yes, that's that was the three point one. The five point bonus Man, song I should have thought of that. Was the song Candyman by Zed and Aloe Black. 
which oddly enough, Justin does sample a little bit from the uh, um, Willy Wonka hmm. song. Okay. It does sample that at the very beginning of it. Um, but that song was also in an Eminem commercial. Um, but yes, it's just a delightful song, and I do love it. So that's why it was five points. The 15-point bonus song was by the band or group Clipping, which is David Diggs' group that he does, has a song called Say the Name, which is actually about the first Candyman movie. Because they did a couple albums. They did a couple albums where every one of the songs is kind of based on a horror movie. They've also got a song called 96 Nev Campbell, which is about her character and how much of a bad bitch she was in the first Scream movie. Like, I feel like I need to hear this album. If you're going to fuck with me, you're going to have to fuck with 1996 Nev Campbell and you're going to get your shit fucked up. But they have a song on that called Say the Name, which is about the Candyman. This Candyman specifically. It's about the Candyman. So that's why it was Man. 15 points. I definitely want to listen to that album now, though. <laughs> oh, it's a great album. It came out last year. but Yeah, sounds tight. But yes, this that's that's why it was a fifteen point bonuser because it's it's about the horror movie Candyman, so it fits more than anything. And it is the 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 slogan, the you know the little catchphrase, especially for this one, say the name. So, uh, so with that, guys, let's go ahead and start our podcast then. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinema fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And if you could not tell by that delightful intro that I had a terrible transition out of, we are talking about the 2021 sequel, reboot-ish, whatever you want to call it, movie of Candyman. We will talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with it. And as always, we will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to help you or allow you to jump around if you so need to. And with all that, Justin, start us off. All right. So when it comes to this Candyman, I was fortunate enough to watch the first Candyman again. Uh, just before I went to the theater to watch, uh, this candy band, this new candy man. And if you haven't seen the movie in a while, I would strongly suggest you do that. Like, because I think this was so, I, I think I enjoyed this so much just because I was fresh off of the first movie watching this one. Now, the movie to me is good enough to where you don't have to. I'm not saying that is a must, like you don't have to do that, but I think it really enhanced my experience. I think if I had just went in and I had and haven't been so many years removed from the first Candyman, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it 
as much as I did. I think I still would have enjoyed it, but I just don't think I would have that much. So I strongly suggest you do that because then you'll appreciate some of the storytelling things that they do um, in this, which um, I can't wait to expand on in the spoiler section. But no, I found this to be very um, enjoyable. I honestly think that this is probably one of the better reboots, soft reboot, reboot sequel, whatever you want to call it. I do think that this is probably one of the best ones I've seen done. Uh, I honestly think really at the at the end of the day, I do find this one better than the original. And I and that's not easy to say all the time with movies and stuff like that. But I think it's better. I think it's I think it's better than the first one. Um, th- this is a movie with a lot beneath the surface. This is a movie that has really a lot to say. Um, but it's also not only does it have the horror elements, but it also has kind of it also does the thriller elements well. I think it's beautifully shot. I think it was definitely well shot and well edited. Um, the the direction by Nia DaCosta in this, I think, was just great. I, I think that the way that the story was set up and the structure of it and the way that it went about, I thought that it was it was great. Even when the film was at a slower pace, I still found it intriguing. The dialogue, what the characters were talking about and everything like that. And I think that the story really kind of expands on the Candyman lore, um, the the mythos of Candyman, I think that this kind of even gives it even more purpose and kind of gives it even more meaning, especially when you get to the end of this and everything is resolved and everything like that. So I really enjoyed this. And lastly, the lead in this, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, the second. Um, as he does so great as Anthony McCoy in this, I thought that he was great. I thought that his progression and his arc in this film and what he sort of starts as and what he ultimately becomes, I thought that he was great in this. I, I liked following his journey um, and everything like that. Uh, Tiona Paris was also great in this. And, you know, we just uh, saw her in WandaVision and everything like that. She was great in this, too. Um, definitely showed up as a supporting character and definitely um, carried the scenes that she needed to carry as well. So I thought that they both did great uh, as Anthony and Brianna in this. Um, Man, I mean, there's a lot of good imagery in this, but and a lot of like horror imagery and stuff like this. I don't know if I would say it was scary. I think it leans more towards the thriller elements more than it does trying to scare you and things like that. But it definitely has some of those uh, elements in there. But, but, and lastly, I think what I just enjoyed about this the most is what it had to say, what it was an allegory for um, the, the things that it tries to say about kind of, you know, because Candyman, even in the first film was sort of a manifestation of like an injustice that was done to this black person, right? 
And so this, I think, just kind of expands on that, like how this relates to just injustice of black people, kind of the experience of and how that sort of relates to black people, particularly black men and just some of that that trauma and what it can be and what it can the effect it can have on you and also how it can be commercialized and looked at at the outside world i think all of that is like in this movie and i just found that great um overall so yeah i really enjoyed this one i think that this was definitely one of the best uh reboots that i've ever seen honestly some strong words said in there justin all right heather what about you (laughs) Yeah, I actually do fall under the category of someone who did not watch the original one before going into this one. I mean, I'm watching it recently. I've seen it, but it's been many years, so I wasn't remembering a lot of the things that happened. And as this movie was going, you know, I'm trying to remember a few of the things from the original, but... um, But you're right. Like, it is still a very enjoyable movie, even if you haven't seen the original or don't remember it well or haven't seen it recently because I really enjoyed this movie too. I think it was really well acted. Um, I think that the, the pacing and the way the story unfolds is really good. Um, I think it is creative and artistic and stylish and how they do some things, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but there's a couple of things that I just really love and how they, how they, um, filmed a few things in this. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a really, it's solid, you know? I mean, like, I don't know if I would say there's too much that was super shocking or anything like that in it, but, uh, I mean, in, in some ways there were, yes, but as far as how the story unfolds and what plays out, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily like, oh, crazy twist or anything like that, but the st- the storytelling as a whole and even the underlying story of what's going on it's just really good it's just a very captivating story and they make really good choices in this movie directionally and uh performance and like their acting performances and everything that they the the choices they make for how to tell this story of of Candyman and and the story of the people surrounding this Candyman story is just really good. Like it's, I I definitely I wouldn't say necessarily this is like a great movie, but it's definitely good. It's a really good movie. Um, you know, there's nothing that that I specifically would say is like a detriment to this film or anything like that. And especially just given the material they have, I just think they did definitely the best they could with the story. And that's, it's a tall order in the first place because the original Candyman, like it's kind of a cult classic for some people, (laughs) Sterling included, you know, but like it's, it's a classic older, you know, it's, it's one of those where if you're going to do the reboot or the sequel or whatever you want to call it, you just got to make sure you do justice to it. And I do feel like from what I remember and what I'm hearing and what I saw, it does do that. You know, it doesn't disappoint really. Um, and yeah, there, there's just some pretty standout moments in it. 
Um, but just overall, I really just enjoyed how things played out in this movie. And it was, it was just really captivating throughout. And you're just kind of wondering the whole time, like, what's about to happen? What is going to happen? What's going to be the outcome of this? Like, you, you really just, you're in it the whole time, the whole way through. Um, I think that it kind of, there's some abrupt moments that could have been probably a little bit more drawn out or things like that, but it doesn't take away from how good the movie is on its own and of itself. So, I mean, even again, even if this wasn't a reboot or sequel standalone, it would have still been a good movie. So, um, and again, you don't necessarily have to have seen the first one to enjoy this one because anything you need to know they kind of do sort of tell you what you need to know for the most part. So yeah, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. And I was, I was excited about this movie because I love, you know, horror movies in general, but kind of any project that Jordan Peele works on, I want to see it. <laughs> so for me, I was excited about this. I wasn't surprised at how well they did some of the things that they did here. Um, I also think that their music selection and things like that in this was really good too. So um, anyway, but yeah, I, I think it was a really solid movie. Oh man. I'm still processing Justin having the gumption to say it's better than the original. I mean, and the reason why I'm struggling with that is like, do I actually look at this movie and its merits versus the merits of the original Candyman? Or do I just be on my fanboy bullshit and say, fuck that, the original Candyman's better? It's just quite (laughs) a dilemma. I mean, I think, narratively speaking, like, and I'm not talking about necessarily the overall narrative or how it was told in each movie, but the narrative specifically, just what was said in the movie, I think I'd still kind of give it to the original Candyman because of where it fits in what Caperni Green used to be. I like how this movie handles it also. Um, the funny thing is, is this movie also is talking about some parts of Chicago and calling it old Caprini Green when it not that's a little bit more into the loop than caprini green was but i will say this versus the other Candyman fucking sequels out there at least this movie went you know what let's not move it from chicago fucking asshats and farewell to flesh and was, uh, that's the third one what's the second one Candyman 2 i don't fucking remember i don't remember the rest of that title but it's upsetting because they move it to new orleans in the second one and you're just like fuck off Like, why would the ghost of this slave that was killed in Chicago randomly just start haunting New Orleans? Come on. Come on. Um, Anyway, let's get into this movie specifically. Uh, I really liked a lot of how they did things in this movie. I thought there was a lot of creative choices. I thought the the artistic style that they go with a lot in this movie works very well the acting is top notch um 
either when you look at uh, Mateen, uh, he's incredible, as as I've just come to expect from that man, just because, I mean, me and Justin talked about him ad nauseum on the Watchmen episode. Yeah. Because the guy's Dr. fucking fantastic. Yeah, he's fucking fantastic. Um, but Tiona, like, she was great in this, too, and it, it did take a little bit for it to click where I had seen her in. You know, and the you know with the Monica Rambo yeah, and all same. that, and Coleman Domingo. I thought he was fucking great in this. Uh, I love that man. Yeah, he's great. I know Justin and Heather probably know him more from Euphoria. Um, but I know him. I went and looked at some of his stuff, and I went and found it. Uh, he's been in a few episodes of Law and Order, and I was like, that's really where I know him from. And then he was also in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom as Cutter. Which he was fucking great mm-hmm. in that too. Yeah. But like yeah. I was trying to really know where I really knew him from. And it's from my just terrible binges of the original Law and Order. And because he's been on a few episodes playing different characters. I was like, oh, that's where I know that guy from. Um, but yes, he's he's fucking great in this movie. I like I like how they evolve the story in this. The 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 story of the Candyman, the lore behind it. This might be a spoiler, but I don't really feel like it is. I just like how they added that it's not one Candyman. It's like Candyman's a cycle. Like it's a manifestation of injustice and stuff like that. I liked that aspect of it. And that's all I'll say about that part of it. I just really think that that needs to be said. I really liked that that addition to the lore of what Candyman is. And then when you get into the minutia of this, like one thing I love, love about the original Candyman is for the first time in a long time, I feel with horror movies or even slasher, because it does borderline some slasher aspects in it. It is so slow and methodical and brooding that it builds the tension. You know, it doesn't go straight into... Candyman's killing some people. It builds it. And it draws it out. And it just adds more and more and more. So as the as the uh, Helen character is overcome more and more with the psychosis of the whole situation, Candyman's coming in more and more and more. And I love that. Whereas when you get into this movie, I like that it kind of bridges the gap a little bit more also between those slasher horror elements and and it being slow and methodical like it, it 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 starts with the killings earlier than the original Candyman, but it doesn't necessarily just go fuck it we're killing people and it's just a slaughterhouse it still plays it more methodical than a lot of slasher movies typically would with the killing aspect of it all. It it gives time between each one. It it adds uh you know time for it to really feel like if you're in this city you would slowly feel that like slow encompassing like grasp of a murder spree happening in a big city. That you would kind of hear about a new story once and you're like, oh that's crazy. Then you'd hear another one like a few weeks later, and you're like, oh, that's crazy. 
then a couple of weeks later you're like oh fuck this is happening and it's like now they're like oh no this is all the same thing you're like fuck and it's just slowly starts to choke everything over like over time and i love that aspect of it i love that it does go a lot of lot of psychological with it because i do think that is a very important aspect of how the candy man operates as a monster if you will or, or or a supernatural entity however you want to call it i'm just for the sake of simplification i'm going to call him because he's in a way a movie monster he's a supernatural in- entity that kills people so i like that they added you know some depth to that and some some more lore to that and just kind of helped encompass those aspects of 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 the Candyman thing that I think that they lose, especially in the original sequels two and three of Candyman. Like, I, I think this does a better job of encompassing things. I think when it comes to these soft reboots or spiritual sequels or just sequel reboots or however the fuck you want to call these things, I think that this is definitely top tier on how you do it. And I do think that this movie learned a lot from that Halloween that happened a couple of years ago that the sequel to that comes out to uh, later this year. I think it learned a lot from that. Now my issues with that movie, that Halloween is the fact that I don't really connect much with the Halloween franchise. So I didn't give it necessarily the best of scores because it doesn't click with me the same as it does people. But I do have to acknowledge and I always will that it showed the blueprint on how you do these decades later sequels, you know, that erase other sequels and all the shit. It showed us how to do it. And I think this movie took that idea, that formula, and it added more to it. Because this added more lore. This added to the lore of the franchise while keeping true to the lore of the franchise. That's the other like caveat to that. A lot of sequels add to the lore. But they do it at the sake of fuck the lore. This movie adds to it without taking an ounce away from the original lore. Now, does it have the smoothest of continuity with some of the stuff? No, it does not. And I will get more into that in spoilers. But, you know, just like Justin did, I mean, I didn't watch it right before. But I watched the original Candyman the day before. And anybody that watches our TikTok series knows this because I did that on Friday and Saturday I did this one. So, um, but I just think that this was a really great way of handling the, the material, adding more to the material, but then also adding more depth to it that adds to the story in a real life context. Like the way they handle gentrification and racial issues and stuff like that in this movie is different than how they typically handle gentrification and a lot of stuff because I think Caprini Green is one of those great examples of gentrification happening like historically so and I think this handles it in a very unique way and I do appreciate that And it also just helps that, like, oddly enough, like, gentrified Caprini Green, and the reason why I know that, like, some of the stuff that they were showing, well, other than just in the city, is one of my offices 
in in Chicago is straight in the middle of the heart of Caprini Green, or what used to be. So, like, I'm very much in that area, like, at least once a month and stuff like that. And, you know, and how it's changed. Um, and I also really do appreciate it. Like, when he's walking around the city and stuff like that in some of those instances, I'm like, I've literally walked right where that man is walking right now. And, I mean, and that's not saying much. That's cool. Chicago is very much also a walking city. You can walk a lot in it. But I just liked that. Like, you know, whenever people walk around in New York, I don't really have that connection. But when he's walking on the Dearborn Street Bridge, I'm like, I used to walk over that fucking bridge like fucking twice a week. So it's just kind of cool seeing that sometimes. And then also there's a death in a high rise that I'm like, yeah, I've walked by that building dozens of times. Like, you know, just constantly. It was just really kind of cool seeing in that scenario where you're like, I could see that. Plus, that was a really cool death, and I want to talk about that more in a little bit. Um, recommendations and scores? Yeah. Yep. Recommendations and scores. Uh, Justin, go. Yeah, um, I definitely recommend that. I mean, I think that uh, you can tell by my bold statement at the beginning, which, uh, honestly, I just <laughs> think uh, uh, it's kind of academic i i just feel like this i mean no matter for me i'm kind of a checkbox kind of guy w- when it comes to movies and like if when i compare one movie to another or one sequel to another or something like that you know i just go down the list and whoever gets the most checks i just feel like most of the time is the better one Th- this one it- it's it's better casted it has a more meaningful story like with the lore and everything like that, just like Sterling talked about, not only does it pay respect to the original material, but it adds to it and enhances it in a way that I just didn't see coming. Um, And then on top of that, it's just so much more artistic and meaningful. And there are just a lot of poignant messages that are timely and very necessary. For just kind of what the, the the society we live in, the the kind of conversations that we're having, and different things like that. This is the kind of movie that I think you know. If, if you're trying to um, talk to somebody about like the black experience or something like that, this would be a good movie to show people just to show them like how a movie can have these things in it and mirror some of these things like in the black experience and from the racism to how it just affects black people, period. This cycle that we're caught in and everything like that and how sort of the, how they use the Candyman lore to parallel with the cycle of injustices that happen with black people, you know, uh, I really think that that's important to say, and I can't wait to say more about that um, in in the spoiler section. So for me, it's academic. It's it's to me this is an this is not just another horror movie. This is not Jason Voorhees. This, this isn't even this is not Halloween. It's just not a ghostly specter person killing people, and that's it. 
there's a point to this. There's a real message in this. There's some very poignant things in this. So I feel like it's definitely for this year. It's going to go on my must watch list just because of how intelligent the script is, how well it was directed. And just uh, to me, how well acted it was. You know, I think it's one of those movies that you should go out of your way to see because there are some incredible conversations to be had once the film is over. So, yeah, I definitely recommend this. Um, as far as a score, um, I think we're going to go with, I'm going to go with, yeah, we're going high on this one. I, I, I really enjoyed this, man. I, I think it's a special movie that came out this year. So we're going to go with 91. Um, we'll just say, uh, 91, uh, slaughter teens in a bathroom <laughs> out of a hundred. Damn, Justin went straight for the child murder. Um, Heather, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I also recommend this. I think it's a very well done movie in pretty much every aspect. It's just very well done. Um, it's it's relevant. It's relatable as far as what the characters are dealing with or going through in certain aspects of the movie. Um, it's genuinely creepy in some ways it's just good storytelling it's great directing and just cinematography of things it's just really good all around it's very solid um yeah and and it is one of those where you get the full gist of what what you need to know from the original even if you haven't seen it obviously watch it if you can but it's not something that you should miss out on if you haven't seen the first one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just really good. And, and I do think the acting is top notch and um, yeah, I, I just think everybody really brought their a game as far as the characters they played and everything with that. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really good and definitely I, I recommend it. I'm going to give it, um, I'm going to go with 86 pieces of candy with razor blades in them out of a hundred. You guys are some morose motherfuckers. You guys couldn't find anything nice to say like for a score in this movie. Jeez. Um, (laughs) No, I do recommend this movie. I think it really is great. Especially being as much of a fan of the original Candyman as I am. I really, really loved what they did with this movie with it. Um, that being said, I kind of have issues with the fact that Heather called the original a cult classic. I think it's just a classic. You know, I don't think it needed my bad, my you bad. Know, all this other, you know, adjectives added to it. But whatever. Uh, this really does add to it. And I am curious to see if they do add, if they end up doing any more sequels with this, like during, like with this setting it up. You know, and stuff like that. I'm wondering what what they would add and continue to do with it. And I kind of hope they do. I think I like the way that this way went. So I kind of want to see more of this this universe that they reestablished. Especially because, like I said, they brought it back to Chicago. Because that seems like a fucking no-brainer to me. But whatever. So I, I do recommend this. 
I think it's just a touch worse than the original. You know, just a touch. But I would give this a... You know, I like Justin's score. I'd give it a 91. Uh, 91, you know, um, nice, lovely dinner parties in an apartment out of 100. Uh, spoilers? Yes. Yep. Spoilers. You know, I really liked it whenever that fucking art critic died in this one. I really liked the way they shot that <laughs> scene. I liked that, you know, she was walking behind him as he was like, after he walked out the door and then all of a sudden you don't really realize it because the camera is panning back away from the building. But then all of a sudden you realize that she's like been lifted up and is getting slaughtered as the can- mm-hmm. camera continually pans back from the building and her like murder is getting like more horrific and you're just seeing like a little bit less of it, a little bit less of it. But I like the idea of your mind being able to kind of piece more of what's going on with it. And I just like the way that was shot. Like as much as this movie yeah, was very gory and how much I do appreciate that in a good, you know, movie with people dying and shit, you know, you want to see some gore every now and then I like the way this movie does. It and I like the way the original Candyman do it, where they don't show you every death. They might show you the aftermath of some of the deaths, but they don't show you every death. They keep some of it off camera. But they, like I said, they'll show you the aftermath of it, though. And I do appreciate that, at least. At least you get to see, you know, a bloodbath sitting there. But they don't show every death happening. And I really appreciate that this movie kept that from the original Candyman. Now, while this one does show more deaths than the original did, it... It, it still showed enough, and I really just, I really appreciated that they did that in this movie. Uh, also, I really loved that first murder spree, too, in the uh, the art gallery. I really liked that. I really liked the whole, you couldn't see him. He was just in the mirrors or reflections and stuff. I thought that that was just a really super cool way of doing it. Like when he's dragging that guy back over and you just see the guy being dragged, but then as he passes in front of glass and all this other stuff, you see in the reflection, you see him there with it. I like that they added that aspect of it into the, uh, when the, 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 the murders at the school that Justin alluded to, I loved that aspect of it too, that you couldn't just see him. And it was a, a nice little detail to add with it. I liked the fact that they also adapted what would be true to um, an urban legend, if you will, anyway, of people knowing the story differently. But then I like how they made it an actual part of the lore also. That while there was the original Candyman, which is still the same Candyman from their first movie, but there have also been other Candymen that have just been killed because of for the most part, it's actually just because they're black. But I mean, the, you, you can also argue that there's other things like that, you know, wrong place, wrong time, those types of things. Not that it was, you know, justified in any way. I'm just saying that, like, there were those aspects of it, that it's always the, the racially biased injustice throughout time has created other candy men also. 
Now, the only thing I don't like about that aspect of the lore in the context of this movie is, and, and, and if you guys think of something that I'm, I'm missing with it, feel free to say it, but like, when what's his name, the, the main character in this, Anthony, isn't that his name, Anthony? Uh, when he becomes the Candyman at the end, it doesn't line up with the same motivations as other people becoming the Candyman. And I think that that slightly weakens him becoming the Candyman just a little bit. Like, I understand him becoming the Candyman, especially because of the connection that they put in to this movie, tying it into the first one, that he is the baby from the bonfire of the first movie, the one that was kidnapped for, you know, a couple of days. I liked that aspect of it. But the lore of other people being Candymen and them experiencing injustices, and that's why they became the, that harbinger of death, doesn't line up with him. And that makes me a little sad that they kind of tie hmm. it together. I mean, you kind of get a little bit at the end because the cop just walks in and shoots him. But he was, what, 95% Candyman at that point. Like, he, he was already there. You know, they'd already cut off his hand and shoved a hook in it at that point. Like, that just seemed like an afterthought thing. Where I understand that it is showing that, like, yeah, was, did the cop just walk in and shoot him because he saw it there? Yes. But I feel like that making him the candy man because of that just seems a little weird. Cause, like, he was already, like, walking around trying to kill that guy and, all this stuff like he was already pretty much candy man at that point so it just didn't make sense to me to have that aspect there at that point in the movie and say that that's the inciting reason why he became that candy man i just don't feel it lines up or is as powerful as a reason as the other people that became candy man in this in this movie now saying that i also i don't know if i'm disappointed or if it's that i'm curious or what that there are a few other candy men in this movie that they show at the end of the movie, but you don't really get their backstory, but then you get an animated version of their backstory in the end credits. And while I do like that they're just throwing that in there and stuff like that, you had one of them being a fucking child. You can't show me that there's a child candy man in the past and not think that you need to give me that story because you do. I need that story now. And like I said, we kind of got it in the whole puppet animation thing they do, which was super cool. But you had a child Candyman. You also had a child fucking get the electric chair, according to that animation. I need that story. That should have been one of the stories that they told as a part of the urban legend of Candyman in this movie. When he's like running around looking up Candyman and stuff like that, like they should have told that story. Something that should have been in this movie. And not just shown like that. Because that is too... Honestly, it's too crazy of a concept just to kind of show for 30 seconds and bounce. I need more of that. Because like, it's a kid. It's a kid Candyman. Also, I want to see a kid Candyman kill somebody. Is that crazy? I don't think it is. <laughs> I need kid candy to kill. I don't think I'm asking too much. But 
I like that they tied some of the same things in it with with the idea that he's slowly going crazy because he feels like he's the only one that like is experiencing Candyman, but no one else is. But Candyman's still also killing people. I like that aspect of it because that's one of my favorite things of the first movie. Is that there's a real chance that Candyman's actually not killing everybody, that she also could be. Now, under his influence, but there's also the real possibility that she's killing some of these people too. And I like that aspect of it. And I like that they kind of hint towards it in this, but at the same time, like, narratively, they're kind of hinting towards it for the other characters, but as the audience, you do lose that aspect a little bit that you know it's pretty much not him because you see the Candyman killing a bunch of these people. So, like, you lose that aspect of it a little bit, which kind of sucks, but also still makes a lot lot of sense with some of this stuff because they at least kept the fact that within the universe itself that other people were still suspicious of it. So I appreciate that part of it. So that kind of works out. But uh, uh, the final thing I want to talk about is uh, um, what's his name's character? Uh, Domingo, his character. Which, what was his name? William Burke. I loved that character. I loved the idea of a man that like grew up in Caperton Green and grew up in the in, in the city and had experienced injustice and experienced the downfall of gentrification and all this other stuff that like certain aspects of this movie really stood up for. I loved that his in a way his messiah, his god was the candy man. I really kind of loved it. I really liked how they ended up portraying him as like a priest. Of Candyman. Of. Like he had seen his own sister get fucking murdered by one of the Candymen. But because of that. Like knowing that it was. It was because of that's what the Candyman does. The Candyman while also murdering people to help balance the scales when it comes to injustice. Also does murder people that summon him. That's just part of his shtick. Regardless of anything. He will just kill the people that summon him also. Unless he does feel like he can use them to help, like I said, right or balance the scales of injustice. But, like, that is part of his thing also, is, like, that's the catch-22 of Candyman. While he also, like, while he does do this as, like, a very righteous way of, 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 of retribution, the catch-22 is if you summon him, he'll kill you anyway, too. Like, unless you're the tool he's going to use to solve the injustice. So I like that catch-22 aspect of the summonation of Candyman. And I love the fact that this guy was like a priest of that. He saw his own mur- sis- murder, uh, his own sister get murdered by the Candyman just because she summoned him. But because she also knew, or because he also knew who that Candyman was and had witnessed his death and knew what the injustice was behind it, he, understand, he understood that nature of the Candyman behind it and while you could argue that maybe it drove him crazy at the same time you could also say it drove him to like in a way of some some spiritual clarity that he knew the candy man is what would be needed to to right the wrongs of what was happening especially with gentrification and the loss of caprini green and the loss of just so much from the black population especially in that area and that has been experienced in chicago like, that was an important... The, the Candyman is what could solve that or help fight against that. But at the same time, he knew that that meant sacrifices would need to be made, as in people would need to summon him and those innocents would need to die. 
because that is the dual nature of the Candyman itself. And I love that he was so bought into that concept that he could watch his own sister die. And in a way, that was the, the religious sacrifice that was needed for the Candyman to do his work that he deemed necessary. It's kind of like that aspect of, of in Christianity that, you know, God works in mysterious ways and that, like, you know, if somebody gets cancer and they die from it, there's the argument that that is God's will. Like, is it necessarily the best thing in the world? No, but you can't understand the full plan. You know, that that is just something that it, it has to happen. That, that is a part of his overwhelming plan. And in a way, they, they, they twist that idea into the Candyman in this also. That this guy, William Burke, has that same philosophy when it comes to murder and the Candyman. And I find that incredibly fascinating. And I kind of want to see a movie on that. I want to see like a Netflix series on that or something. Like like six episodes or something. Of like the gospel of Candyman. Or something like that. I just think that'd be great. Or even just like a six part like little mini series or whatever. Just going through the ages of telling the stories of the other Candyman. Like I think you get four or five in this one. That they tell their stories. And I just think it'd be cool to like flesh them out a little bit. Even the original story of the Candyman about being the, you know, the son of a slave and being like learning to paint and all this stuff. I think it'd be cool to get like a little one hour episode of something of just that story. I think that'd be fun. I'm just sad that Tony Todd would be too old to play that guy now. But Tony Todd could play the dad. That'd be that cool little thing they would do. Or Tony Todd play the dad. Anyway, I feel like I've talked enough. Um, Heather, go. Yeah, and it is interesting that you bring up uh, Coleman Domingo's character because I did find him rather fascinating in this film. Um, Part of me did wonder, though, like, why is he so obsessed with bringing back Candyman? Because in my mind, I was like, he just witnessed so many, like, traumatizing things around Candyman. Like, why does he want to bring him back? But the way that you explain that, it's like, well, maybe that is what it is. You know, it's like, you know, there's got to be the sacrifice to bring him back, but he needs to be brought back anyway. You know, so I guess that that concept does make sense because in my mind, I was like, man, he really just has some kind of like obsession about this, even though he's been so traumatized by, or you would think he would be so traumatized by a lot of the things that Candyman has done in his own life. but. um but I, I love Coleman Domingo. I think he is such a fantastic actor. And he's got that really, like, um, that voice. You just recognize his voice and you know it's him. And it's just so, like, um, commanding. Like, it's a very commanding voice. A very, like, it draws you in. And whatever he's saying, whatever story he's telling, you want to hear it. <laughs> like, he's just a very captivating person when he speaks. And I loved him for this role because of that. Because, I mean, I've seen that with him with pretty much everything I've seen him in, really. Um, You know, he's just, he's got that, like, that wisdom that he speaks to people in the movies that he's in. Or, you know, a story that he tells and, you know, he's got the conviction behind it. And and I love how he does that in his roles. Um, 
And it was just very perfect for this type of character, you know, telling the the story of Candyman and all that stuff. And it just worked so well. Um, But I think he was a great character. And I think Coleman Domingo was like the perfect person to play him. So I agree with you on that, Sterling. And I actually was also going to talk about (laughs) the, um, the art, um, not the art dealer, the, the lady who's, who's doing the review, the art, art critic. critic, yeah, that's the word. Yes, I was going to talk about that too because man, that scene was awesome, <laughs> but it was strange. Like it was just very cool, and yeah, just like the, the beautiful scenery around what's going on. You know, you're seeing all these high rise buildings and the the background, and it's beautiful. But then, you know, if you're if you're not paying attention, you miss it, but she completely is just, her murder is out in the open for anybody to see in her window to know what's going on. It was really clever how they did that. Um, I thought that was a really great scene. One of the most memorable scenes of the movie, I think. Um, and, and even just that whole scene with Anthony's character in, uh, or Anthony in the, in her apartment, talking to her and how, you know, the suspense of like, is she going to take the bait, you know, and, and do the Candyman thing to see if it works, you know, and then him in the mirror seeing himself as Candyman and that whole thing, that whole scene with him and the art critic was really cool. And there was just so much to unpack from that. And it was really, really well done. And I also liked the, um, the art dealers dying. (laughs) But my question to it is, isn't it anybody who like, it's just whoever actually says Candyman's name looking in the mirror, right? Because I don't think the art dealer himself did. I think it was just the girl who did. Right. Or did I mistake that? They do play that somewhat loosely. The whole idea is he's summoned in your presence. Like they're both right there. You know okay, I mean? so like, even okay, even if he's not the one who was saying Candyman's name, because he was there when it was happening, he's kind of part of it too. You can argue that he was an active participant in it without saying the name. Also, you can maybe argue that that mm-hmm. while he was there, or did he at least say the name? I thought he said the name once. Like he I, might have. I think he thing, might have. Yeah. Does it necessarily the the lore is a little bit abstract when it comes to that one person doesn't have to say it five times it can be two people and one person says it once and the other person says it four times but as a collective Mm -hmm. you say it five times in the mirror type of aspect so with that you can argue that like i said in my mind i argued at least when i'm watching the scene well even if he didn't say it like i said i thought he said it once but he might not have because he'd be like what do you want me to say say it once yeah yeah he did to remind her uh, of what the word was because yes. they're both she walks up yeah. to the mirror and she's like what was that thing again that you have to say and then he's it behind her also looking at her and the mirror and he says candy man yeah and so then he she does says actually say it first yeah yeah and then yeah. she says it four times so the argument yeah. is is he's an active participant in the summoning ritual yeah. Okay. That's what I was going to say. But yeah. Um. It and so yeah. I just wasn't sure how that worked. If that was like breaking its own rule or what. But also, I mean, because um, Anthony in the mirror 
said it five times and well i guess technically the girlfriend wasn't looking she was looking away from the mirror so that makes sense why she wasn't in on that um you know because when he yeah when he says it and he's like messing with her he says it five times right i think yeah he does yeah he summons and she keeps saying no (laughs) she keeps saying like no don't you know but she's not looking at the mirror so that is why she didn't get yeah on that so well, there's that Anyways. and there's the argument that anthony is the tool that the candy man's going to use just like the the helen lyle character in the first movie she summons him but he doesn't kill yeah. her because he's going to use her as a tool that is like the other yeah. side of it is that the candy man doesn't necessarily kill you because if he's going to use you to get to what he needs to do then he doesn't kill you right you know? which is kind of with Brianna at the end of this one too. Same thing. You know. Yeah. He he uses her. He doesn't kill her. You know, even though she says his name five times in the mirror. So, no, that makes sense. Um yeah, I just that there was just one thing that I was like, "Wait a minute. They both got killed, but I thought only one of them was doing it." But you're right. He did say Candyman once, and then she said it the rest of the times. So that makes sense. Okay. Um, and then those girls at the high school <laughs> or whatever in the bathroom, like, that's just dumb anyway. But like the only smart person in that was the one girl who was like, yeah, nah, I'm out. <laughs> After she heard like a banging on the window, she's like, nope, this is dumb. I'm done. And I was like, why did nobody else do that? That was the only smart person in that entire thing. Um, but I think that that scene was well done too. Like, again, you don't see them dying. You you don't see them being killed, but you hear it and you you feel it and you know what's going on. And then just the whole the aspect of that mirror falling and then the other girl being able to see, you know, what's happening sort of in that little mirror. Like it was so clever the ways that they come up with showing Candyman and showing what he's how he's doing what he's doing and things like that. I just, they're so clever with the way that they do this. And even like when, you know, at the end, when Anthony is going around the car and everything, and you see the, the reflection of Candyman, um, the different Candyman, you know, in, in the reflection and like just the very stylistic ways that they do things. And I loved the, shadow puppet storytelling part i thought that was so cool so creative how they did it 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 wasn't like this normal typical like flashback thing they just did it in such a clever but also creepy and haunting kind of way and it was just a really excellent choice for how they did that i loved that i thought that was really cool so um and yeah like you said even at the end when the little they're telling the stories at the end of it too with it like it was just a really cool aspect to add to this i I really liked it but yeah i mean and it is like one of those where you get the whole grasp and the whole gist of who Candyman is and what Candyman can do just off of either the legend of who he is and like the fear that it brings to the people who know um or just Kind of, yeah, like you, even off screen killings or whatever, you, you just know, like what, what he can do. 
And it's, it is that, that fear and that anticipation and that, that buildup of this whole idea of who Candyman is. And, and I do agree. I, I do like that there were different Candymen and the, what, what the Candymen are supposed to represent. And I think that that was a really smart and interesting aspect to add into it. So it gives this movie layers beyond just like a horror movie or a slasher movie or a gory movie. Like it gives it layers and it does it in a smart way. So I, I just really respect how they did that. Um, and yeah, I just, there's, there's not really, again, like, I don't feel like there was much like to say, Oh, there was a twist in this or anything like that. Like, I knew that Anthony was technically going to be turning into the Candyman. Like I already knew that that was going to happen. Um, so that wasn't a surprise. I guess maybe the surprise of like the cop coming in and just straight up shooting him, you know, like, I guess that was a surprise. I didn't see that part coming, but based on what the rest of the movie was, I probably should have seen that coming, but you know, it, it just, it, it wasn't like it was completely unpredictable, but everything they did they kind of do it in a fresh way or a unique enough way to where you don't care and you don't feel like it's predictable, even though you're still not surprised by really much of what happens in it, if that makes sense. And I just think that that's smart to do it that way. Like, you know, you don't always have to have that big twist, but if you're not going to have it, at least make the whole rest of the movie interesting enough to where it doesn't matter, you know? And I, I just think that just the storytelling and how they, they did the whole unfolding of the movie was so good. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's pretty much all I have to add beyond what Sterling kind of already mentioned about it, but just those specific moments and scenes that I wanted to talk about. And, um, Tiana Paris was so good in this. And it took me a minute too to realize like who I where I knew her from, <laughs> but she's fantastic. Like she's one of those like rising stars or something. Like she's just everything I I have seen her in so far. She's so great in it. Um, I think a lot of the people in this movie are very, you know, they're a little bit newer to the scene, but they're all just so solid. Except for Coleman Domingo, he's been around, but you know, like everybody else is so kind of fresh on the scene with it a little bit and. They're so gifted and their performances are so great that you just wouldn't know that. And yeah, I just think, I don't know, just the way that this whole movie came together just really worked. And again, not a perfect movie, not even one that I would be like, this is a great, great movie, but it's a good movie. It's a solid movie. It's definitely a rewatchable movie. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Man, now Heather's coming with the heat at the end of her stuff. Uh, Justin, what about you? <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess just to begin with uh, uh, just just some of the things that I liked, and, and I mean, you guys have said many of them, but just to kind of uh, backtrack on a few of those things, uh, I guess just to talk about the, um, uh, the Anthony character, I, I just really liken this the way that how he systematically was becoming Candyman, you know, and I think that that was just one of the best storytelling aspects of it, 
you know, is that they 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 just kept constantly doing little things to foreshadow him becoming the candy man, you know, like like every time he looked in the in a reflection, it was they would just do these really cool things. One of the coolest things that they did, and if you blinked, you would have missed it. But like whenever um he gets that beast thing and he's in the bathroom by himself and he's just sort of like in a daze and he's just sort of sitting there standing there shirtless and so then uh tiana's character comes in tries to come in and she's like hey is everything okay and he's acting a little weird he's obviously not all there something is happening and so like he kind of uh pushes her out of the way of the door and he kind of goes, look, I'll be out. Look, babe, I'll be out in a minute and everything like that. Well, whenever he pushes her out of the door, he sort of stands, he sort of stands in the position when the door is shut. And like, you can see that him and then his reflection are in the same position. It's him holding up on the door, but then the actual him moves. And the reflection doesn't. It just stays there in that same frozen position of the door with him with that kind of stern look on his face. So the actual him moves, but the reflection doesn't. And that was just a subtle thing. But I I just thought that that was so cool how they did that. they, They just did so many cool visual things like that. Or like when he was in the elevator. And um, he's having that vision and then he looks up at kind of the reflections in, in the ceiling of the elevator and he sees the candy man, but he doesn't just see the candy man. It's his reflection. It's how his reflection would look standing in the exact same position. If you were to look up and see your reflection, that was the exact position that candy man was in. So all this time, they're giving you these clues that he's looking at himself, you know, all the the whole time they were doing these little things with the camera and everything like that. He was always looking at himself. And then if you didn't get it by then, then they just practically gave it to you. You know, when we got to the critic scene and, you know, he's staring in the mirror and now he's candy man in the mirror and the candy man is mimicking everything that he's doing you know if you didn't get it by then then they pretty much just said okay look this is what's happening here you know he's becoming and then you know you see the bee stung taped up hand and that's the hand that's mirroring the hand with the hook so i mean and and him becoming the candy man wasn't really the the surprise of it per se because that's just paying homage to the first movie. That is literally what happened in the first movie. You know, Helen is kind of being framed because of the what the Candyman is doing, who the Candyman is killing, and things like that. And ultimately, tragically, she sort of becomes this Candyman-like specter at the end. And similarly, that's what happened with this character. You know, Candyman is killing all these people and stuff like that. But in every kill, 
there there's some sort of tie with him as this artist and the say my name um uh art exhibit and everything like that so the cops so without them really having to say it uh, and, and and although um um Burke says it at the end uh you know the cops are obviously looking for him and they're going to pin this on him and everything like that. So even though they didn't have to say it in every scene, it was obviously there. You could see what Candyman is doing, especially if you've seen the first movie, you could kind of tell that this is what the, the, this must be what the Candyman is doing. This must be the goal. So I liked how it mirrored what was happening to Helen in the first movie, because all this is happening and this is leading to, the authorities thinking that it's got to be Anthony doing this. So I thought that that all just kind of added up and it was a great way to pay homage to kind of what happened to the care, our main character in the first movie. But I just thought that it was just so superbly well done here, you know, like that they just played with that so much. And I loved all of the visual cues, the foreshadowing and stuff like that. But but there's more to it than Anthony just becoming the Candyman because what is the Candyman in this? He's sort of like this specter that is a byproduct of racial injustice. But what? But he's more than just that too. He's like to me, he's like black trauma. He's like that rage, like that trauma that is sort of uh, from injustice that is sort of manifested over the years. And I loved how all of the different Candyman, these weren't just different Candyman stories that kind of came out of thin air. If you uh, know uh, a black, your black history, a lot of those Candyman stories that, that they were telling from back then and what they did with the, um, with the paper shadows and everything at the end, which I absolutely love that, those mirror actual stories. There was a 14-year-old boy, black boy, that was executed by electric chair. Uh, his name was George Stiddy. He was 14 years old. Le- 70 years later, they exonerated the kid. But yes, he was sentenced to an electric chair by an all-white jury. He was convicted of a crime that he didn't commit and was electrocuted. That wasn't a coincidence. That was for him. You know, I saw Emmett Till in one of the stories as well. The guy that got hung by his neck and was drugged by a vehicle and uh, decimated and everything like that. That was in there, too. That was Emmett Till's story. Um, you know, th- th- that's another famous black uh, uh, child that was uh, killed violently, you know, and then the mother had an open casket for him and like and if you haven't seen the pictures of Emmett Till and what happened to him and this was something that was also mentioned in Lovecraft Country as well they talked about it too but that's a very like famous popular story of kind of the injustice that happened to a black person so none of that was done by accident like all of this was kind of to showcase that And if you think about it in real life, like in this story, yes, every generation, like they were kind of showing that there are these generational candy man. But what was so powerful about it to me is that when you look at just our real life 
American situation and you look at kind of the black American experience, there has been, quote unquote, a candy man in every generation. You know, every generation, you go back to the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and even here recently in our generation with George Floyd, there is this black person that was killed unjustly by the authorities or something like that. And it just caused like this rift. It caused protest. It caused kind of the way that we sort of looked at our society and racism and different things like that, you know, but over, over the periods of years and over the decades, you can find these examples of these people, Nat Turner, uh, you know, uh, back in those days, there's, you, if you think about it and you read a touch up a little bit on your black history, there has always been a quote unquote candy man, a victim of racial injustice, this person who was unjustly killed. And so the bigger point that this movie is trying to make is that look at this endless cycle <laughs> that continues to happen. Like even today, this is not something that is just sort of created for movie's sake. Yes, it ties into the Candyman and what we were doing in the context of this film, but what's even more scary than the film is that this keeps happening. And so this movie was really kind of a microcosm for that, just kind of showing you that, look, every generation this has happened. Uh, With the Anthony character, it's also kind of showing you in a good way how this affects a black man, like how and how this affects our society. Because another big point of contention, I think, in this was sort of the commercialization, the commercialization, or sort of the way that people have profited off of black pain and black torture and black debts and different things like that. You know, you kind of had these, this, you know, and, and that's sort of like what the Anthony character was. That was part of it too. He was kind of this artist, this person of, and he was a little bit better off, right? There was this gentrified neighborhood, but he had moved in. He was in one of these gentrified homes or houses and things like that. And what was he doing? Uh, he was profiting in a way off of those racial images and stuff like that. Like some of his original paintings, like the man with the, like, like the, the painting with the guy with the noose around his neck and, you know, um, and he had all the tattoos and stuff like that. So yes, he was touching into some of his black culture and the suffering and stuff like that, but he didn't truly understand the significance of it. Right. He didn't fully grasp what it was that he, that he was, uh, that these paintings were that the what these renditions were and different things like that and, and what was crazy was what did that art dealer tell him early in the movie well i, I you know th- these paintings are cool or whatever but this was so like you know 2000 or whatever he told him this is so 2000 anthony man but we need something different you know people are used to this People are used to this message. We need something different. That was so yesterday and stuff like that. And I think that that was very critical, too, because it kind of points to like how 
much our society has sort of minimized some of these things like the, 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 the black paid experience and stuff like that. It has gotten so just kind of ingrained. It's kind of that warning that don't let this stuff get so kind of, you know, artsy and to where it's being sold and to where it's being a hashtag and to where it's just being kind of marketed in a way that we are ultimately forgetting that these innocent people died, that there was something more significant to this that there is something dangerous about this. This is nothing to be taken lightly. This is nothing that can just be glossed over and looked at as, you know, and, and that's kind of in a way what it kind of is becoming to a lot of people. You know, it is sort of becoming that in a way it, it's being abused in a way to where it's not being looked at and taken seriously. And, kind of looked at as something that needs to be remembered and reflected upon so that we can not make the same mistakes. It's almost like in a way it's kind of being advertised and sold and done and and not really taken seriously in all these sort of ways. And what I think this was ultimately trying to say is that that's a deadly precedent because this was horrible. This is horrible stuff. This is dangerous stuff. And if we don't pay more attention, if we don't reflect on it more, if we don't keep telling people about this stuff, if we don't keep on reminding ourselves of the dangerous history, it can kill us. You know, it could be the death of us all, especially when it comes to black people, because who knows who could be the next candy man? You, I could be the next candy man the next victim that was person that was profiled of injustice and stuff like that. So that was a big message in this too. You could be the next candy man. And that's kind of what Anthony in a way was, you know, he was this black person, you know, educated, trying to make it everything like that. But when he got the story of what candy man was and what it was, that story kind of consumed him. And even though he felt the need to kind of do something about it and uh, display it in his art and different things like that, it also kind of shows that that can also consume you, that, that those thoughts, what happened to them and stuff like that, that could consume you. And also you could be the next one to, you could be the next victim in a way. So I just wanted to kind of, say some of those things, just kind of some of the bigger meanings behind the film, you know, to me, that also kind of plays into what happened with the teen girls in the bathroom, you know, all of them being slotted and everything like that. Uh, You know, when I look at that deeper, I'd like to think that that's an allegory too for people, you know, in this case, white people or just people of other races who kind of don't take that trauma and that pain and those things that happen seriously, you know, it's kind of dismissed. It's kind of written off. It's kind of looked at, Oh, that's old news or every now and then, you know, sometimes, you know, (laughs) people get in a room and they're making jokes about this stuff or every now and then, you know, somebody might, you know, paint their face at a black face and go, I don't know what the big deal is. I'm just dressing up for Halloween. You know, we've seen examples all throughout history of just kind of white people just not really taking it seriously, kind of dismissing it, kind of seeing it as something 
that's just yesterday's news and stuff like that. So I think that was also, too, an example of taking black pain, black trauma and stuff like that and saying, you know, if you play with this stuff, it can burn you. It's it's deadly. It's painful. It's hurtful. It's not anything to be taken lightly or just taken in jest. You know what I mean? So I think that that was an important part of it, too. Uh, of course, uh, other things that you guys talked about uh, were, you, you know, you're definitely accurate with some of the things that you said. I, too, love the scene with the um, art critic and how she died and just that pan out of all these people in this building just oblivious to this horrible death that's happening and taking place and stuff like that. Um you know, to me, another allegory that kind of harkens back to, uh, you know, why Anthony dared her to do that challenge because of her kind of being fascinated by the art, but not really understanding it, not really absorbing it, not really understanding how volatile and dangerous it is for black people, but ready to write these critic reviews and stuff like that and analyze it and all of this kind of stuff and fascinated by something that really you can't ever possibly understand, you know, just having, just being under this skin. So, you know, I, I just, there was just so much there, man. And that's why I just think that this is an incredibly powerful work. Uh, Tiana's character. You know, I think that she was another great character for all the reasons that you said. Yes, her acting was great, but this character was also written exceedingly well. You know, this person who was moving up in the ranks and thought that she was making an impact and stuff like that. And then she goes to this meeting and this woman is telling her and then, you know, she's thinking that they're trying to take her on her merit and what she's doing and things like that. And then we get to the root of it. And she goes, my superiors have been raving about Anthony and his paintings and everything like that. And then you tie the blood and death and how that's kind of now surrounding Anthony's work and stuff like that. Uh, now they're interested in her, you know, now they, 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 they want her to be a part of their staff and everything like that. But So I love how even though in a way her story kind of seemed unrelated in some ways, I love how it all kind of tied back together to what Anthony was going through and everything like that. And even in her story, there was she was getting some of those residual effects. You know, she thought she was safe. She thought that she was kind of outside of of anthony and what he was going through and stuff like that you know she goes to her brother's house and they're talking about like man the candy man isn't real and all that stuff so she thought that she was separate from that but i like how in even in her story residual effects of what was happening racially was still sort of creeping up in her story you know it just was happening little by little and then at the end it kind of culminates when she's in the car with the cop and the cop is telling her what she's going to say or else you're going to jail or you know if you don't say that we had to shoot him and stuff like that then you will then you're going to be going to jail 
And that's not too far from the truth either. There have been accounts of people talking about cops doing things like this. So none of this was necessarily just made up for the movie. A lot of this, they are pulling from people's actual experiences. So that's why kind of at the end, it it all made sense to me. And I kind of see what you were talking about, Sterling, earlier with how you didn't feel that the way he became the candy man was matching up with the others. And yeah, it may have been a little bit different, but still just the cops coming in the, the, you know, the shooting first asking questions later, he still was an innocent person who ultimately was unjustly killed. I mean, the man was just kind of on the ground and, you know, was killed And you may think if you're listening to this, maybe you might think that that's a little hokey or what would a cop really do that? Now, if you're one of those people, then you seriously just need to go back and look at some of these videos. But I mean, I've seen a man killed on his stomach. I've seen a man killed while lying down. Um, I know that famously, I want to say back in the 90s and I forget his name, but there was a guy who was at his house on his front porch. And he just had a wallet and was shot up by police officers. Trust me, any way you could think that a black person could be unjustly killed by the police, it has probably happened and then some. So if you thought that it was too far fetched, it's just you're just you just need to learn more. You just don't know enough about what the history of that has been. So to me, it was it, it definitely was another example of an unjust person kind of being killed by when they shouldn't have been and yes in the confines of the story it was the candy man kind of moving these pieces along and making this happen in a way sort of like how he did with helen but but don't get it twisted anthony was an innocent man that was unjustly killed so i get why he became the candy man uh in this instance and and the last thing I'll talk about is that is the William Burke character. Yeah, I definitely thought that that was a great character, too. And uh, I kind of saw him as almost like this black person who kind of, you know, he experienced the injustice firsthand. He saw it. He was there for it and everything like that. And then to see the Candyman again to see this person who he knew died unjustly by those police officers and he was there for it. He witnessed it. And then to see this person again, like even though that person killed his, th- th- this Candyman killed his sister because he was summoned. It, like you guys said earlier, it was almost like for him, it, it was a cathartic experience and he got it. Like, he understood the significance of this. Like, this is no game. This is somebody who was unjustly killed and he died. And man, his memory needs to live on because what happened to him is horrible and it continues to happen. And it's been happening for generations. So I got to keep that. I got to keep that cycle going. We can't let these injustices and these things be forgotten. I can't let the candy man be forgotten because his memory is significant the fact that people need to talk about him is significant you know we don't want people to forget what happened to these people so even in the 
you know, in the skin of the movie, it is, we don't want people to forget about the candy man. But underneath that, the, the other message is, we can't let people forget about the injustices of black people. We got to keep telling these stories. We got to keep. And you can hear that. Yeah. You can hear that. Um, and, um, William Burke's just conviction of what he's saying. You can hear Mm -hmm. that he's just frustrated and he's fed up. And I do think that that was another great quality to add to that character as kind of the resident. I've seen it all kind of person, you know? So yeah, you can hear the frustration of like, okay, something needs to change, you know? Definitely. Definitely. And even though in this, they, he was sort of kind of in a way orchestrating it, right? Because, you know, to Sterling's point, this was being orchestrated and William Burke was in a way helping the candy man or sort of acting as like a vessel, a preacher, a, a, a saint of candy man, kind of helping this manifest and take place. But why does it work? Because of the predictable racial behavior of police you know they knew it would work he knew the police would profile anthony he knew that they would come after him and he knew that if push came to shove he'd probably be killed unjustly and he's right about that because of just the awful history that we have here or at least you know in the context of the movie and at least that's how i saw it now that doesn't necessarily mean all of his actions were justified was he crazy yes was he pretty insane yes was it not all there yes but this is a person who has been consumed and traumatized by what he witnessed by the innocent person he saw killed as a child and so it just became something he was obsessed with he was obsessed with that injustice and so sort of and so everything took a back seat to that that is a real black experience with some people i've talked to people and it it really is all they think about it's just the people who have died and something has to be done and i have to keep talking and we have to keep and even sometimes when um, it's not justifiable. Sometimes b- black people just make mistakes. Sometimes black people are killers. Sometimes black people just are criminals and, and everything like that. But sometimes you have these people that are so traumatized and consumed by some of the things that they've experienced and witnessed. They just still have to think that way. They still can't trust other people of other colors and races. They still have to think twice about that uh, they still jump and kind of think twice when they see a cop car. That's a real thing. That generational trauma, you know, even Anthony in this movie kind of jumped when that cop car rode by, you know, and he had climbed over a fence area. So maybe part of it was, you know, uh, uh, maybe he get me cause I'm somewhere I'm not supposed to be, but he's still just a guy with a camera in an, in, in, in an abandoned area. And even still that jump, that, that he gave when that cop car went by, you know, and even me, there's a part of me that like, you know, I can't help but feel a certain way when I see a cop car and I'm not a criminal, but still, you know, you, you just, you just never know when I get pulled over by a police officer, you know, the, the thoughts that go through my head are probably not the same thoughts that go through y'all's. 
And that's real shit, man. So to me, this was infinitely more powerful for those reasons. You know, there was definitely more being said beyond the surface of what was being said. So yeah, man, this is a beautiful film. It's got plenty of layers and man, it is so timely for the things that are going on today. And I just love those warnings about racial injustice, how we can't take it seriously and how the memory of these people uh, needs to live on. And the last thing I'll say is what, what has been, what was one of the big monikers that had been said during the whole black lives matter movement, say his name, say her name, say their names. We're not going to let you forget these victims. We're not going to let you forget these people that died. We're not going to let you get forget these people that were unjustly killed. And we're going to keep saying their names. We're going to keep reminding you of them until we see some sort of justice. And I love how they tied that in to the whole say his name, Candyman lore. Say his name. And then this whole motivation of Candyman about make sure you tell everybody about me. Tell everybody about me. Tell everybody about the spirit, the the dangers of what can happen when you unjustly kill these people and justice is not served and what can happen and the trauma it can cause and the danger, the real danger that is there if we do not change and stop doing these things so i just love that that was there and i thought it was very poignant so yes this is a great movie it's a must see i think for just anybody who likes movies or anybody who definitely wants to be a part of these conversations yeah like like i was saying though like my only issue with him becoming the candy man at the end with it was just the fact that he was physically transforming into Candyman when the injustice happened. You know what I mean? Like, I think that they could have done the whole thing of him more or less being framed for the murders and getting shot by the police without him more or less physically being 99.9% Candyman at that point. That's what I didn't like about that. Like, it wasn't a direct result of the injustice. He's already becoming that. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, that's my point with it. And one thing with it that I'm glad you talked about it, Justin, with with the the boy and Emmett Till and stuff like that. I didn't connect those to this because in my head with this movie, especially this version of the movie and stuff like that, I was trying to tie it to Chicago-only cases because... You know, the Candyman inherently was in Chicago, and this one was back in Chicago, and stuff like that. So I wasn't thinking about other cases outside of Chicago when it came to this. So with what you said, and I looked it up like while you were talking and stuff, that makes a lot of sense. I just didn't jump there with my head. You know what I mean? Because I was thinking of just shit in Chicago. So. No, that makes more sense, though, in the end. Yeah, and that's and that's so important. And like at, at there at the end, when it, when it was doing the, the the shadow paper and everything and telling all those stories, man, that was just beautiful. And just all of the imagery that there was so much going on there. Like you see all of these different 
generations of these injustices of these people that were unjustly killed and stuff and they're all dead and then i love how you know it cuts to each one and they're all dead and then you see them all rise up and then you see them like uh the the all five of them are kind of hovering and then behind them there are these shadows of all these other people countless and all of a sudden you see all these shadows of other people and i love how it just multiplied and there were countless uh numbers of them behind them and it it, it was just a great way to say how many more victims are we going to have <laughs> oh no yeah you know i just you know, it, it was just, man, it, it was so great. I, I really want to watch this again be, it, just to see what I missed because it's just all over the film, you know? Um, but yeah, but yeah, just really good stuff. Yeah. And I, and with all that too, like, I thought it was funny when you were talking about like, oh, no, that's something cops would do. Like, yeah, like look at Chicago right now. They're investigating four cops for using illegal chokeholds in the wake of George Floyd. So you already had the George Floyd incident happen where somebody was essentially, you know, deprived of oxygen and Chicago cops used an illegal chokehold in the wake of that. So like they can, in a way it's like, they're not even getting out of their own way in that instance. Like they're still, yeah, like they're doing the shit that is literally causing these uh you know protests and in response to those protests they're doing the same shit that caused the protests and then they're like yeah but why why are you upset with us for this it's like really are you really confused yeah. by this <laughs> yeah like, that's what astounded me about a lot of this stuff. And it just shows, like, and especially because, like, I think it's so funny and ironic that you hear all these politicians, they want to talk about Chicago and how it's insanely violent of a place. There's all this violence here. There's all this gang violence. There's all this murder. There's all this stuff. And it's all because it's a crazy liberal town and all this shit. And, you know, that's why and all this stuff. But then at the same time, like, Chicago then has all the problems of like police brutality and all this other stuff. And they're like, see, it's a crazy liberal town. And that's why there's all this violence. But then at the same time, you still have the police department that just swings the other way. And then you have all these police brutality claims and all this other stuff. So it's like, why is it that like we're a crazy liberal town when it comes to like normal violence? And and I don't want to normalize violence, but I'm just saying like, the violence that you get in big cities we're a crazy liberal town but when it comes to police brutality you know that's it's not because we're a liberal town you know what i mean like yeah it's that weird irony of it all that like when police do it it's it's fine but whenever it's like gang members doing it it's the worst thing in the world and i'm like well can't they both be bad like yeah it's that because one is bad doesn't mean the other one has to be good by default. Exactly. We, we can rationally say they're both bad. Like I, I hate that there has to be that they, they draw those weird lines in the sand. Police violence. Good gang violence. Bad. 
I just, why can't we say violence bad? Across the board. Like, it's, there's not, there's, there's that weird, like, separation they have with that logic, and I don't understand it. It's kind of like when other people want equal rights, other people get mad about it because they, they feel like they're going to lose rights of theirs. When it's like, no, just because other people are getting the same rights you have, you don't lose rights. That's, that's that not right? really how rights yeah. work. That's not how they work. <laughs> you know, like, it's they act like rights are a finite resource. You know, and it's it, and I guess it's the same way with violence in that scenario that I was talking about. It's like they act like violence, like there's a weird version of good violence, and that's a finite resource. So cops get all the good violence, and everyone else has bad violence that needs to stop. It's it's the way they they act. Like I said, like it's a resource, like it's water or something, and I just don't understand that that gap. But like in the context of this movie, though, like like I said, my my nitpick with him becoming the Candyman with that was just because that he was ninety nine point nine percent candy at that point, which I also really liked how they did that though, like physically how they were showing that trans like when his skin was like falling off and you could see the honeycomb under it. Like I thought that was a really nice touch of like hearkening back to the Candyman myth, you know. Of them spreading honeycomb on him to cause the bees to come and all this other stuff. Also, and I don't remember if you guys said this, and I'm sorry if I missed it. I really loved how they had the, when the bees were there behind the mirror, they would bounce into the mirror. And you'd hear that little tap of the bee hitting the mirror. Oh, yeah. That was cool. It was just a small little touch I liked. And then I did like it, though, that like as the movie progressed... You would start to see the like. I know there was that bee out in the real world that did sting Anthony, but as the movie progressed in terms of Candyman, the bees slowly weren't always in the mirror. I want to say when all the girls were getting killed and there was that compact on the ground, like a bee lands on the mirror, but in the real world, not like in the reflection. It was at one at one point, and I could be confusing the scene, but I know at one point. When some Candyman shit was happening, there was that flip, and the bee was now in the real world, and not in the reflection world. And I liked that touch. That yeah. just as it progressed, it's you know it's it's the idea that he's getting stronger, or it's about to be, he's unleashed into the real world fully, or like however you want to like frame it. You know what I mean? I just like the fact that as the movie went on, the bees weren't trapped, which showed his progress also and also how good was it to see tony todd at the end of this so delightful <laughs> yeah that that was great how they paid homage to him and still sort of added to the lore of him and what he is and that was great that he was the last person that you saw at the end that was just a nice little like paying respects you know to, See, to the original, so and that's that was what was tight. killing me in this movie. While I liked that they, they added the lore that we've talked about of expanding, you know, the mythos to adding more Candyman and and or Candyman and then being injustice people and all this other stuff. I liked that because, like, they were able to add a truly interesting thing of you know 
of the centuries of injustice and what it's caused and the ultimate price of all that and all this other stuff. I liked that. But what was killing me a little bit was the lack of Tony Todd just being a strictly Candyman fan. I can like all that, but I was like, it was killing me that I wasn't seeing any Tony Todd, though. You know? Like, I liked that they added the lore, but I'm like, fuck, give me some Tony. Like, let me hear his voice something. Give me some Tony Todd. (laughs) Like, it was just, it was eating me away that they weren't giving me that, and that they were showing just these other Candyman, especially the one Candyman that uh, was the one that was created, like, that William Burke witnessed being created and stuff. Like, but it was just eating me away. Because I'm like, but but that still doesn't mean you can't show me a Tony. Show me a Tony Todd. And then I was, then, then we see him at the end, and then I just felt fine. I was like, ah, got my Tony Todd fix. Because it's just, I mean, and that's the other part of it, is it's, it's just so weird seeing Candyman and it not be a Tony Todd. Like, I've watched that first Candyman so much that just, you know, and, and plus the sequels and all this stuff, but it's just, that's what it was, will always be in my mind. When you, when you say Candyman, I'm instantly and always going to think of Tony Todd. And I'm just, yeah, like I said, I just, I needed him in this movie. And it's just like, I was, I was getting insanely frustrated. I'm enjoying this movie, but then also, slowly developing a hate for this movie while I was enjoying it just because I wasn't getting any Tony Todd. Like, not even a voice. You know what I mean? Just something. I needed something. And then they fixed it at the end, and I was just fine. Then it just all was fixed. It's like Tony Todd is like a drug for you. It was. When it comes to Candyman, yes. Because his, <laughs> his voice, that's what it is to me. It's his voice. His voice as the Candyman is just fucking perfection to me. And like, and also his weird business moves with the Candyman, what was it that like, all those scenes with the bees in the original Candyman were filmed with real bees? And like, you know, whenever he did the, the whole scene where he opens his mouth and all the bees are in his mouth and stuff like that, and for him being just covered in bees, like that was like filmed practically. And he had put it, he had got it put in his contract that he got $1,000 for every sting that he got and he ended up getting like 25 grand extra just from being stung by wow wow yeah like and that's also i guess another reason why i love tony todd is just like this man got stung 25 times by bees just to be the candy man that we does like that we needed and i respect him for it but it was just very nice to see him at the end plus i really liked the hook design that they showed in the with the, the creation of the Candyman that was the Candyman for most of this movie, the the guy that worked at the candy factory in this movie, I really just liked that hook design. That was really cool. It was yeah. like more angular and stuff. But no, I I, I absolutely agree. One of the, my favorite things about this movie, though, and this is something you brought up specifically, Justin, was at the end of the movie that the end credit scenes were just them doing that animation style to tell the story of these other people becoming Candyman. And just visually showing their stories like they did. And they even expand upon the one that we saw in the movie of the guy that worked at the candy factory. So I like the fact that we got to fully see his story play out. But very, very good movie. Great movie. I don't just how they're coming with that fire. And also (laughs) even at the beginning, like 
I mean, right off the bat, they were doing artistic stuff. When the logos and all of that stuff were reversed, like you were looking at it through a mirror, man, this movie was, <laughs> this was so tight. And then you can hear the bees buzzing and like everything is like inverted. That was tight, man. That that was really tight. It was funny because the person next to me was like, hey, is something wrong with it? Because, you know, some, it catches you off guard because you're like, uh-oh, did, did, did something happen or did they like put it on the wrong setting or whatever. And then you hear the bees buzzing and I'm like, do you hear it? And I have to tell him, he was like, I think something's wrong with it. And I went, nah, man, that's an artistic choice. I was like, do you hear the bees buzzing? And I, he was like, Oh, I do. And I was like, it's a reflection, man. It's like, you're looking in a mirror. He was like, ah, okay. You know, but he almost went to tell him that something was wrong with the, uh, that he thought something was wrong with the projector. So, even that was tight, man. Just, man, this was so good. I'm going to have to watch it again. No, it is. And I, and I really like that, too. Like, I think it's funny just when you when you watch, I guess, enough stuff and all this other stuff that, like, I that did not pop in my head that maybe something was wrong with the movie. Like, that did not pop in my head at all. Right. I just find that interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. But no, I agree, Justin. Like, I really loved how they played more into the mirror aspect of Candyman in this. Like, yes, the mirror has always been a vital part of the Candyman lore. I liked how they played more into it. Because playing more yeah. into the idea of that's the reflection of the inner you type of thing. And, you know, especially with Anthony becoming the Candyman and all this other stuff. It's, you know, showing the reflection of that. That's what you're becoming. This is you. Whether or not you know it now or not, this is you and all the stuff. I really like that. Yeah. yeah. And just think about how that kind of ties into just uh, w- w- with the with this movie. I mean, anybody could be an, an unsuspecting victim, but think about how specifically that ties into this with black people like at any given point, you know, that that's often said by people, you know, at any given point something could happen and you could be a victim or this could happen. And you, so I love how they just sort of play with that. And also with mirrors and stuff, it was so cool how you could only see Candyman in mirrors. Most of the time, that was the kind of one of the coolest things about when he was killing people, you could see him in the, in the, in the reflections and mirrors, but I like how they just didn't you, but they, but like in real life, you couldn't physically see him. So it was so cool when he kills those two people at the art exhibit towards the beginning, when he's dragging that guy, I loved how like he's not physically there. You couldn't physically see him there dragging the guy, but you could see him walking by in the reflections of things in the background. That was so tight. You know what I mean? That that was just awesome. Or like when he was killing the 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 teenagers in the bathroom, you saw him, you saw his uh, legs and his feet just kind of hovering over in that mirror. So I even like that too. Like how they, a lot of times you could only see him in mirrors and that was great. That was really cool. You know, when they would do visual stuff like that. Yeah, and I liked how they had him float more in this, 
which goes back to yeah, like he, a specter, just a force. Yeah. Well, like whenever in the in the first movie, when Hel- Helen goes to the insane asylum, and he's floating on the ceiling in that scene, and no one else can see him, or whenever she's uh, talking to that doctor, and he hooks the doctor from behind, and he starts to float yeah. up while pulling up the hook through the guy, like. I like that. I felt like those were homages to that. Like, and I like that more. Like, if he wants to walk because he's, you know, talking to somebody, I like that. But I like the fact that for the most part, he just kind of floated. And it, it also then ties into bees, like bees being able to kind of like float when they fly and stuff like that and hover. It's that type of aspect, too, that I appreciated mm-hmm. with it. But anything else you guys want to say about Candyman 2021? No, I'm good. Nope. Well, on that note, then, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook, where we're Cinema Slayers podcast, or Twitter and Instagram, where we're Cinema underscore Slayers, or TikTok, where we're Cinema Slayers pod, where I am one month completely into my five-month daily movie challenge, and that was, it's, it's, it's insanity, is what it is. I... What the fuck was I thinking going, you know what? I need to do 153 movies in a row every day. I'm 31 in and I'm beat, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to beat this challenge. Uh, I say it's a challenge. It's a challenge directly to myself. I'm not challenging anybody else to do this because it's insanity. It really is. It's insanity to do all of that. So it's not really a challenge for anybody other than myself, and I hope you guys enjoy it. I've done a <laughs> plethora of movies on it and stuff like that, so 31 to be exact right now. Well, 32 as of today, actually. But anyway, so check that out, and uh, give us a five-star rating review. We'd really appreciate that. That'd really help us out. Uh, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends' family, tell your family's friends, and especially those dear, sweet mothers. Do you know Why? Mothers love candy and therefore would love this episode. I think that's a good enough reason. Plus, my voice is like candy to mothers. So that's another reason. I'm dropping all the candy reasons for this one. So they should definitely listen to this. And just and uh, shout out to Plug Bigo and Mundo Ochoa for our theme song and uh, logos, respectively. And as I always end the podcast, and as I always end the TikToks. Just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is a Best Picture winner. I have no idea. Somebody will listen to me. Nobody knows anything but you. Man, what's a candy song? Cinema Slayers. Whatever it is, I think I see becomes a Tootsie Roll to me. Oh, you could have seen Candy by Mandy Moore. <laughs> oh, I could have. Yeah. <laughs> or you could have seen, I don't know, any of the songs we talked about at the beginning of this movie. Because <laughs> we talked about what? Five has a chocolatey chew. Tootsie Roll, I think I'm in love with you. Whatever it is, I think I see becomes a Tootsie Roll to me. Does anybody actually like Tootsie Rolls? Like, actually, <laughs> I don't think like so. Them? 
Like, I don't. A Tootsie Roll doesn't taste like chocolate. Like, I know it tastes like hell. I mean, I hate it's it. A, it's it's a chore to eat. I wouldn't go that far. It's not candy corn, okay? But yeah, candy corn's gross. It just—it's the it, candy corn of chocolate candies. No, because I, be, I would right? argue that it's not chocolate. Because what is it then? Tar? No. Or it, what is it? It tastes like chocolate if somebody had never eaten chocolate. Like if somebody had never eaten chocolate and you told them to describe the taste of chocolate, they would describe the flavor of a Tootsie Roll. <laughs> I do like some of the fruit ones though, like the fruit flavored Tootsie Rolls. Mm-hmm. Those are better because the, they actually taste like fruit. The the suckers were okay. Oh, like, the Tootsie Pop, uh, except when you got. Yeah, the Tootsie Pop was okay. I guess I liked it. It was still kind of that Tootsie Road chocolate, whatever you want to call it. But at least I liked the sucker part. And the commercials were funny. Do you remember the one with the owl? Yeah. How many licks does it take to get to the center Mm -hmm. of a Tootsie Road Pop? (laughs) One, two, and he just takes a big crunch. (laughs) Three. And then he gives the stick back and there's none of it left. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, no, but like, do you guys remember the fruit Tootsie Rolls, though? They had like a lemon one and a blue raspberry and I think like a strawberry and like maybe a banana yeah, the or blue something. Raspberry, blue raspberry oh, and strawberry yeah, yeah, went yeah. hard. Those went hard. Those. Yeah, because they actually tasted like at least what fruit flavor candy tastes like. You know, like blue raspberry doesn't really taste like raspberries, but it at least tastes like blue raspberry flavor, you know? So universally, if you get anything that's blue raspberry, you know what to expect. You know? It's just like, but the Tootsie Roll, the chocolate Tootsie Rolls just don't taste like chocolate. Like any version of chocolate. Maybe, maybe it's not chocolate. Maybe it's chalk-lit. Where it's chalk instead of cocoa. And they just dye Hmm. it brown. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's chocolate. Maybe we just solve Tootsie Rolls. Cotton candy, sweetie, go. Let me see your tootsie roll. Tootsie roll. All right, that would have made more sense. Tootsie roll to the left, to the left, to the right, to the right, to the front, to the front, to the back, to the back. Now slide, baby, slide. Come on, let's slide, baby, slide. Come on, let's dip, baby, dip. Come on, let's dip, baby, dip. Cotton candy, sweetie, roll. Let me see your tootsie roll. Sorry, I just remembered that one too. Well, if only you had thought of that like three minutes ago. Also kind of another like follow direction song that you were not a fan of. That's true. That's true. I'll give you that. Man, I wanted to talk to you guys about Patty Jenkins, but we've gone too long. So let's just end it.